Non-farm payrolls tonight in the United States. Just how quickly is the job market recovering? And it is all about jobs. Uh, we've lost a chunk of them in Australia, of course, but not surprising as lockdowns extend. But still, the hope everywhere is for a strong rebound when the population is vaccinated. As an example, we'll look at what's happening in Germany right now and what the Bank of England said with inflation expected to hit 4% by the end of the year. But guess what? It's only temporary. It's Friday, the 6th of August, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, climbs on the three major indices in the US this morning. 0.8% for the Nasdaq and the Dow. 0.5% for the S&P 500, nudging towards its all-time high again. The ASX 202 hit a record high at close yesterday. There's not a lot of movement in the US dollar. It's marginally down on the DXY. The Aussie, though, is down a third of 1%, just above 74 US cents. The pound down about the same amount. The euro is pretty static. The US dollar's gained a quarter percent on the Japanese yen, but lost a third of 1% to the Canadian dollar. And whilst the Aussie is down, the Kiwi dollar is up again. It did touch 70.7 US cents for the first time since June. 10-year treasuries are up four basis points and oil is recovering a chunk of yesterday's losses. It's up 1.4% for WTI and 1.2% for Brent. So uh, equities, strong earnings, I guess, is a chunk of that. We saw Uber shares up at 10% at one stage after their earnings results, even though they are yet to make a profit. Uh, and uh, more grounds for optimism as well in the United States with the jobless claims overnight, uh, telling a different story to the ADP job numbers we talked about yesterday. Uh, and, uh, well, let's talk about all of this uh, with Gavin Friend from NAB in London, uh, because imports and exports as well in the United States, both up a bit. Yeah, good morning, Phil. Um, well, let's start with claims. I mean, 385,000, you know, remember we've had two weeks of higher outcomes you've got to be honest three you know from 399 the prior week it's not a big decline is it um but it's moving in the right direction we still think that the summer retooling at the auto production facilities is probably hampering the downward trend um which suggests that you know once that's over things might decline a bit more uh you know precipitously but um on the other side of course we've got the delta variant and uh, that's going to be uh, potentially uh, adding to adding to claims on the trade side i mean i wouldn't crow too much about that you know <laughs> the us trade deficit ballooned to a new record high um, imports rose 2.1% to uh, what 283 billion exports up 0. 0.6 to, to 208 that shows that, that shows demand is rising doesn't it well it I does mean, you know, yes indeed it, it, it does it's it's a signal of that strong consumer demand but of course a trade deficit shows you that uh, net trade is a drag on gdp and as we learned in uh, the gdp numbers last week it dragged down gdp gdp by something like 0.45 percentage points so but all these things happen at different times don't we don't we we take what we can get you know i mean there's going to be delays because of uh, supply chains but if domestic demand is up uh, you know you'd hope exports are, uh, will follow i mean that was one of the points that richard Clarida was making yesterday wasn't it you know we shouldn't get too concerned for example about the uh, about jobless numbers because the labour market always lags GDP. All these things don't happen at the same time, obviously. It does. And it, we, we must re- reflect back again on that GDP report last last week. Although it was a miss relative to expectations, the big standout was the 11.8% uh, rise in, uh, in in personal consumption. So, you know, that, that, that mirrors what we saw in the trade numbers. I mean, broadly, though, today, uh, Phil, I would say that, um, you know, whatever you, the market's concerns, investors' concerns on 
you know the monetary tightening debate that's going on you know it's 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 going from one side to the other or the delta virus it's not rubbing off is it with stocks at uh, the S&P knocking on all-time highs the Nasdaq at new all-time highs European stocks you know having a great last sort of six months really and here's um, well, and, to- and then you know on our own turf you know the ASX 200 uh, at an all-time high even though uh, an increasing amount of the country is in lockdown um, I mean I, I think to your point positive earnings you mentioned Uber Wayfair others I mean that's obviously have to, some sort of uh, impact bond yields nudging up a little bit um, remember we've had this you know over the last few weeks bond yields have been trending lower both nominal and real rates after Cla- Rich Clarida Fed uh, Vice Chair's comments yesterday um, you know yields have popped up a little bit higher uh, today or Thursday Fed Governor Christopher Waller talked of his views of a strong recovery in the US including his hopes for the July non-farm payroll report and on um, for, 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 ne- for next month's report uh, in September for August, he thinks these are going to be strong numbers in aggregate. And, you know, he thinks that the US labour market will have sort of recovered around 85% of its lost jobs after accounting for retirements by September. All up, he thinks it may be possible for the Fed to start withdrawing its accommodative policy sooner than some expect. So you've got Clarida on him on, and, and Bunsar Harker and what have you. On the other side, you've got, you know, Chair Powell and Lyle Brainard. And I think, you know, for most of them, there's a and even with markets, there's an there's a sort of a tacit agreement that we're going to get some kind of taper announcement November December. We're going to get actual tapering in December January, but then we're going to get this ping pong again about actual tightening. It's going to continue for as far as we can see, you know, through 2022 because you know the debate is just you know nowhere near being sorted. No. Is it? Well, I mean, then let's look at the Bank of England because uh, there they are saying. 4% inflation by the end of the year. Don't worry, of course, it's only transitory is what they're saying, even though some of it is wages. But, it, I mean, it is a risk, isn't it? What if they're wrong? What if it sticks at 3%? Then, then, well, then they're going to have yeah. an enormous amount of catching up well, to do. Y- yeah, yeah, that's right. We won't know that, though, for a few months. I mean, they, they certainly were... The Bank of England slightly more hawkish. I mean, they're being driven here by two things. Well, on the one side, you've got strong economic growth in the in the UK. The bank the bank has a punchy seven and a quarter percent growth rate for this year, and it upgraded 2022 from uh, five and three quarters to six percent. That'll be stronger if that's realised. That'll be stronger than the US, let alone the eurozone. The other factor, of course, driving the bank of uh, Bank of England is inflation. And on Thursday, it raised its forecast for CPI to four percent, a four percent peak towards the end of this. Year that's up quite away from the previous May forecast of, of 2.53 percent. I mean, it had to do this because, a bit like the Fed, it's been surprised by the rise in prices and it thinks this is going to continue for a bit longer. Now, the Bank of England, still like the Fed, thinks this will be temporary the rise in prices, it thinks it, it'll, it'll peak and then they'll come down to it forecasts 2.07%, so just you know a fraction above the 2% target in the t- over the two-year horizon, and then down to 1.88%, just below the, th- uh, the target, over the three-year horizon. But listeners should um, be aware that these forecasts are conditioned on the market re- interest rate curve. And the market interest rate curve currently has about 50 basis points of hikes priced in until late 2024, starting next year by about 10 basis points. So if you did, you know, if you ran the slide rule over the Bank of England's inflation forecasts on unchanged rates, 
they would miss their uh, their inflation mandate. So that's why they're saying they're phrasing today as some sort of modest tightening of monetary policy is likely over the next two years. But there is no urgency here. We must stress there is no urgency. Seven of the eight members say keep asset purchases ongoing until the end of the year. One member, Michael Saunders, as you know, as last time round, he wants to end those purchases now, but he's uh, he's he's not going to have his way. So it is the countries that are doing well. Well, obviously, are the countries which are getting the vaccines out there. So Germany's uh, factory orders came bouncing back, uh, which might mean supply chain problems are easing there because orders rose 4.1% in June. That's 26.2% up on a, a year ago, perhaps a bit of a meaningless statistic. But a lot of it is domestic business because uh, so, they're doing well as a country. Obviously, capital goods orders for the month are up 6.8%. So there's obviously comfort, even though you know consumer goods orders fell, uh, capital goods orders have increased. So there's obviously a bit of confidence there. Yeah, I mean, this this is just, um, you know, uh, adding to the string of positive numbers coming out of Europe at the moment, not least the GDP numbers last week, which to our mind just really haven't got enough airplay, you know, 2% Q on Q versus the US's equivalent of 1.5%. And as we as, as we keep saying, throughout the year, Europe has the momentum. Um, I think I take your point, there was a bit of a query in those German numbers about why it was all domestic demand stuff. We think it's probably the uh, an indication of the uh, demand for the car industry, domestic demand for cars coming back strongly. Mm. But it is a bit of a question mark over why there wasn't much of an uptick in foreign orders, given that other anecdotal evidence suggests that exports are starting to pick up. I think that's going to be the growth story for Germany over the next couple of quarters well, to see that recover rather than just the domestic demand. And if you hear something else, if you um, want another sign that Germany is doing well, if you look at the Google mobility data, which uh, is good to look at from time to time, it tells us that the people travelling to work, those getting back to work can, compared to the baseline of just before the pandemic, uh, travel to workplaces is 8% up on where it was before the pandemic. Retail is 7% up. Compare that to the United States where the journey to work is still 10% down, retail is 2% down. So Germany on that basis really is looking strong. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is going to be the story uh, as we go through the second half of this year and then into 2022, where Europe can come on with, you know, four and a half, five percent growth this year, uh, probably four and a half percent next year um, against, you know, the US is what, six and a half, seven this year. And as the Fed, if the Fed is right, it'll be uh, barely above three yeah. next year. All right, let's look at what's happening in Australia. By the way, travel to work, no surprise, 18% down across the country. And that was before Victoria went into another snap lockdown. And of course, we've got 283 locally acquired cases yesterday. There's uh, 368 people hospitalised, uh, small by standards we're seeing in the UK, for example. But it is rising quickly. So Australia is in real danger of a double dip recession, isn't it? Two in a year after 29 years without one. Uh, so the, uh, the Aussie trade data, I don't know how, mean, how useful that is in these circumstances. The surplus has grown. Um, so it's the opposite, really, of what we were talking about earlier, isn't it? Because exports... I guess helped by iron ore prices uh, have have grown more than uh, imports. Import growth is actually quite slow. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a record trade surplus in June, ten and a half billion Oz, um, increase of one point two billion on the month, driven as you say by increases in goods exports, up four percent to thirty eight point two billion. 
Um, gains were seen in non-rural goods, so metal ores and minerals, largely, of course, as you, as you mentioned, iron ore, up 18, uh, to 18 billion. This is both, interestingly, on the, the, the volume and the price effect. Looking forward, you'd have to say with China sort of determined to try and control iron ore prices, the outlook there is a little less certain. But rural commodities, also worth a mention, um, cereal grains and preparations up 11% to a record 1.2 billion amid strong harvests and unfavourable seasons conditions so it's important that you get that secondary factor coming in and um, to your point there about you know the lockdowns and you know recessions and the rest of it I mean I think the pit the point that the that the RBA uh, has been making and we'll hear later on uh, I'm sure with the statement of monetary policy and with uh, Governor Lowe's testimony to Parliament today more about uh, more about that and the idea as he was saying in the statement earlier in the week about the economy's you know ability to bounce back quite quickly and strongly after after the lockdown ends and i think that's why the rba uh, has stuck with its uh, taper decision to taper its asset purchases to four billion a week from five billion a week. So long as they bounce back, so long as people have still got jobs. So we had the uh, the payrolls data yesterday. Four point four percent of jobs have disappeared in New South Wales in the fortnight to the seventeenth of June. That's quite staggering. As always, we warn against you know the interpretation of these numbers is a bit difficult because of the sizable revisions that you tend to get. But it was the case that the larger declines occurred in the states and in the industries or the sectors that were most affected. By the lockdown. Yeah, goes without saying, doesn't it? And speaking of payrolls, mm. non farm payrolls, I should imagine the dollar is going to be uh, quite sensitive to this either way, isn't it? Given that we did see a bit of a reaction to the uh, the ADP numbers yesterday, which are normally sort of like, like largely ignored. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, obviously, this is the big number for the week. Everybody's focused on it. Uh, the market's looking for about 873,000 jobs. Uh, the, the warning, of course, <laughs> from the analytical community is the, uh, the forecast range is 350 to 1.2 million. Uh, job so who knows really what the number is it's it was always difficult to, uh, to to forecast prior to the pandemic it's much more difficult now there'll be a lot of focus on things like the unemployment rate seeing coming down a couple of tenths um it's still elevated at 5.9 don't forget you know the fed thinks it'll come down to about four and a half by the end of the year it's got to go some um, and despite what Christopher Wallace says the other thing to look at of course is the average earnings you know if you do get a big bounce back then you'd expect average earnings to start aggregating lower again because it will be led by those you know, lower paid workers coming back into the jobs market. Um, I think for what it's worth, it's probably we're probably likely to see a bigger market reaction if we get a downside um, to, to, to relative to, to, to the, the forecast outcomes given what's been going on in the bond sector and what have you recently. Right. Well, whatever it is, we can say that a lot of people will have been wrong. Uh, <laughs> we can be sitting on that. Uh, good to talk. G- Gary, we'll catch you again next week. Thank you. Cheers, Phil. When you get a wide variation like that, don't you just get the impression that everyone's guessing? That's it for today. That's it for this week. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again on Monday morning. Have a great weekend. 